trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio. I'm Carolyn Harding, and today I'm talking with Mike Ferner and Marky Miller, advocates and activists for the health and well-being of Lake Erie. Mike Ferner is a coordinator of Lake Erie Advocates, a grassroots citizens group that educates and organizes to build awareness and public pressure to stop the assault on Lake Erie by factory farms and other polluters. He lives with Sue Carter, his wife of 35 years, and an ever-changing number of cats with Lake Erie as their front yard in Toledo. Marky Miller is a volunteer organizer for Toledoans for Safe Water and the Ohio Community Rights Network. She's an ambassador for the Lake Erie Bill of Rights and the Rights of Nature, speaking at the United Nations, appearing on The Daily Show, and numerous local, national, international media outlets. Mike, I just read your August 27 article in Counterpunch, quote, as titled, There is no fixing this industry, the third battle for Lake Erie, with a visual of a huge billboard saying, Lake Erie is not a toilet. Marky, you and Julian Mack were my first Grassroot Ohio guests just after Toledo citizens voted to enact the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. So our objectives are the same, a clean, safe, healthy lake. With everything that has gone on since that day, what have we learned and what are our new tactics to protect Lake Erie on our North Shore? Mike, tell us a little bit about Lake Erie Advocates. Well, thank you, Carolyn. Uh, We got started um, in late 2015, which was about a year and a half after Uh, Toledo's water crisis, which was when uh, close to a half a million people didn't have water uh, from the city for almost three days uh, because of a toxic algal bloom on Lake Erie. So our group got organized and uh, there had been environmentalists um, talking about Lake Erie and uh, doing a variety of things to try to uh, bring it back to health. But uh, we thought that we wanted to uh, have a more uh, in-your-face kind of organization that was going to confront public officials and uh, name names and uh, take a little tougher stand because it didn't look like much was going on that was going to really start helping the lake. So anyway, we got going. And um, since then, we have... uh, picketed uh, dozens of times at various events and uh, at various uh, public officials gatherings. Uh, We have done the standard phone calling and writing to uh, elected officials, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of calls and postcards and emails and so forth. Um, We had a committee for a couple of years that talked to every state legislator in our region We've been involved in a lawsuit for the last four years to try to get the U.S. EPA to enforce the Clean Water Act. And um, all of these things, we all, and I should mention, uh, a couple of years ago, we worked with Leadwins for Safe Water to uh, support and help uh, get the passage of the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. Uh, that was Toledoans for Safe Water's initiative and Markey's group but uh, our group was very supportive and uh, 
our members learned a lot during that campaign, all of which uh, we've seen not make a difference at all in Lake Erie's health. In fact, uh, it's worse now than it was five years ago because uh, the state continues to license uh, more and more of these factory farms, in quote, because they're not farms. Uh, and so there's just more and more animals uh, in our watershed and their waste is continuing to eventually reach Lake Erie. So our group uh, recently came to the conclusion that um, there isn't any fixing this industry, that uh, the only thing that makes sense is to get rid of it. And we know that's not going to happen tomorrow, but uh, nothing changes until you start talking about it. And so uh, we decided to do that and we did it in a, in a big way. We've taken out uh, a dozen billboards uh, in Toledo, a couple in Columbus, a couple in Cleveland uh, that say, uh, like the one that you mentioned, Lake Erie is not a toilet, uh, ban factory farms. Uh, the, we've got various slogans. Uh, one of them said, uh, who voted for this uh, with an image of animals in a factory farm. Um, so anyway, we've been uh, continuing to do that, and we just hope that enough people uh, take it to heart and really, you know, everybody says they're concerned about Lake Erie, and everybody says they want to have it uh, restored to health, but it's going to take an awful lot more citizens getting angry and uh, deciding that things need to change before that's going to happen. Marky. Um, I saw a picture of you with a sign at some protest saying, the system is fixed. We need to break the system. What did you mean by that, Marky? Well, I think to Mike's point, we keep permitting and licensing and allowing these you know, animal factories and other harms to go on. And we know the dangers. We know the potential dangers. We have a measured amount of harm. And we act as though we are allowing it to happen in a reasonable um, permissible rate. And we can see the collective impact happening on Lake Erie. We can see it happening in other places and we're not taking enough action. And so we realize that activists and community members and, you know, sometimes even elected officials are left sort of spinning their wheels and begging for change and wanting to see action. And there really isn't a good avenue for that change to happen. You know, we're given uh, public hearings and we're given, oh yeah, write and call and do this. And, but nothing is really going to, to come out of that. And we understand that those permits aren't really written to protect the environment. They're not really written in a way to ease harm, but to allow it. And so we need to change the way we look at that system and understand that we can't just go in and tweak it and say, hey, we found a flaw, maybe you didn't notice. Um, but we have to call the system out and say it's working perfectly fine for those who designed it. And that we want to break it, we want to dismantle it, and we want to build something totally new. And that's where I think Rights of Nature comes in. And, and both groups have been just really vocal and trying to call out when things aren't set up in a way that's meant to really protect Lake Erie or the people here. Mike, um, you mentioned that the treatment of these animals in these factory farms reminded you of how war caused soldiers to do in, inhumane, treat others inhumanely, and that this is also impacting the workers that are working in these factory farms. Tell us how that resonates with you and what you were 
you were talking about. Yeah, uh, I was a hospital corpsman during the Vietnam War and uh, worked in a Navy hospital and took care of hundreds of guys that were coming back from Vietnam and in uh, various uh, stages of disassembly. Uh, so I got to see firsthand what the real uh, effects of war are and uh, learned that uh, uh, primarily learned that uh, my government was lying to me and to uh, everybody else when it uh, argued uh, for being in Vietnam. And it uh, opened my eyes and made me realize that uh, that goes on in a number of areas, not just when it related to my own experience as a uh, Navy corpsman during the Vietnam War, but it uh, extends to many things that the government does. And I got involved with uh, Veterans for Peace and um, came to realize that uh, if we really are concerned as a society about uh, our fellow citizens uh, having PTSD and all of the personal uh, mental and uh, medical ills that uh, result from being in the military and being in war, then we simply need to quit sending people to war. Because uh, what happens is uh, war creates the conditions within which uh, some people are going to do things they never thought they would be capable of doing. And uh, it's, it's automatic. It doesn't happen to everybody, but nobody knows, you know, if you're going to be able to maintain your humanity or if you're going to uh, wind up, you know, uh, descending into the depths of uh, inhumane behavior because those conditions uh, change you. So I started uh, after getting involved uh, with Lake Erie Advocates. And uh, I, I knew something about the conditions in uh, these uh, animal feeding factories. Uh, but it wasn't until I started watching some of the uh, underground uh, videotapes that uh, were taken by people who uh, became uh, employees at some of these places and for the purpose of uh, getting film footage about what was happening. And when you see that and you see uh, how these animals are treated, uh, it becomes pretty clear that these factories, uh, these animal feeding factories, uh, when they're built and operated, they create the conditions for inhumane treatment. And people who work in them long enough, not all of them, but some of them are going to do the same thing that uh, men and women do when they're placed in combat. They're going to uh, descend in, into a place where they do inhumane acts that they never thought they would be capable of doing otherwise and otherwise wouldn't be doing. But it's the, it's the conditions that are created in war. And I believe the conditions that are created in these animal factories uh, that uh, result in, in inhumane treatment. And frankly, these uh, facilities are built in such a way that they're inhumane in the first place. Even if the workers there uh, treat them as, as well as possible, uh, the, just the very design of these places uh, are inhuman. Uh, but on top of that, then you get uh, inhumane acts by some of the people who work there. Yeah, that really hit me. That's, that's a whole nother side to the, the factory farm. And 
you know, when you're thinking about Lake Erie, you're thinking about the pollution from these factory farms, but to look at the impact on the employees and on their quality of life, not to say, not to mention the inhumane conditions about these animals. And we didn't want to go there when we got started for the first few years. You know, we, we decided that, well, if we stray from the arguments around uh, what's going on with Lake Erie and start talking about the conditions uh, in these factory farms and for the animals and such, uh, people are going to, uh, we're, we're going to get a reaction from people of, uh, well, why are you telling me what to eat, that I got to be a vegan or something, you know, and uh we wanted to keep the focus on the lake. But um, after doing this work for, uh, for about five years, it became pretty clear that we needed to address the whole issue. And that's why we say there's no fixing this industry. We've got to get rid of it and we don't need it. It didn't appear in our watershed until the mid nineties and nobody was standing in line waiting for the hamburger delivery or the egg delivery or the milk delivery with empty shelves. You know, that didn't happen. And, and we, we simply don't need this industry. So let's talk about um, the, the physical impact of this industry on the Western Lake Erie uh, watershed basin and what exactly, um, how it's impacting and creating these toxic algal blooms. Um, Marky, let's start with you. Yeah, and Mike has more of the, the numbers here, but we're talking about millions of gallons of manure stored, what one, even allowed to be accumulated and produced, and then stored, applied, discharged in whatever way that they're used, um, leaching into our watershed, mainly through drainage tiles, which we, we have, you know, this area used to be a swamp. And so we have ways of, of filtering out that water, draining it, trying to keep it, you know, turning it from that, this really what was considered a formidable landscape into fertile farmlands. And so we have to keep that system going. And those drainage tiles end up being these little super pipeline highways that carry um, nutrients and raw manure into our water. Uh, goes into the Maumee River and then goes into the western basin of Lake Erie. And with the blue-green algae that we're talking about with cyanobacteria, the microcystis can, can be produced mainly from the excess amounts of phosphorus because I believe it can fix its own nitrogen. So phosphorus is considered the limiting factor. And the more that you have of that and that you have a very shallow lake, you have a lake that's traditionally very warm and getting warmer with you know, climate change and the change in seasonal conditions, a lot of rainfall coming in, snowfall, all of those things contribute to how much of a nutrient impact that we have. And on the other side, we're not doing anything to limit the nutrients going in, but we're, we're focusing now on, well, let's wait for the, the blue-green algae to form, and then we'll just increase our treatment. We'll use more chemicals. We'll put millions of dollars into the facility to try and, and keep an eye on things. We'll, we'll have an early warning system, you know, things like that. And there's very little focus on, well, what if we just produce less? <laughs> what if we did more? What if we weren't um, doing the intensive livestock farming in this area like we like we are? Because that, I think to me, that's what it comes down to. It just can't happen in this area without having a huge impact because of the landscape, because of its historical use, what it is. And we tried to come in and control it and change it. And we're living with that legacy now. And we're trying to deal with those with those effects. 
and it just that's that is the, the conversation really is we just can't keep this going in a, in a way that's really going to be profitable long term and it's not going to result in either a, a dead lake Erie again or impacting you know the 11 million people that rely on it for water so mike let's talk about the numbers um how many factory farms are there now and have they grown in, in a great percentage in the past couple of years? Where, where are we at and, and where are they coming from? Well, as I mentioned earlier, it uh, wasn't until the mid to late 90s that we had any of these facilities in our watershed. Now we have over 800. And it, this is uh, the Maumee River is the largest river flowing into any of the Great Lakes. So, uh, you know, we have a big responsibility as human beings, uh, we're supposed to be stewards of the place where we live. And uh, we're, we're blowing it. Uh, so just to give you a, a quick look at the numbers, uh, our best estimates after really doing some digging are that there are over 25 million animals in confined facilities in our watershed. Uh, and the number is probably far greater than that because a lot of them that are below a certain number don't even get counted. But to the best we can determine, uh, there are over 800 of these facilities, 25 million animals confined in them. And if you look at the amount of phosphorus that these animals excrete and compare it to uh, what human beings excrete, we have the equivalent in these 25 million animals, it's the equivalent of the human populations in Ohio, Indiana, Chicago, and Atlanta. All of those human beings and the just looking at the phosphorus that they excrete, that is the comparison. So if we had that human population, you know, to put it politely, taking a dump in the Western Lake Erie Basin without treating it at all, that is the uh, comparison with the number of uh, animals that we have in these confined facilities. And it's, it's insane, it's unsustainable, and it just, if we allow it to continue, we're gonna have a dead lake in, in addition to a lot of other problems. Who's in charge of regulating these farms and, and permitting these farms? Who's in charge? Well, in Indiana and Michigan, because the watershed extends uh, in a little bit into both of those states, it's the uh, state uh, environmental protection agency. In Ohio, interestingly, the legislature transferred the authority from the Ohio EPA to the Ohio Department of Agriculture. So they officially put the fox in charge of the hen house. And uh, even our mayor, who is hardly a radical, said that the Ohio legislature is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Farm Bureau. And that's for sure. I mean, that's who's running the show when it comes to the agricultural and environmental policies in, in the country and in Ohio in particular. It's uh, big agriculture. It's the Farm Bureau. It's the uh, Pork Council and the Beef Council and the Dairy Council and all these uh, lobbyists that swarm over Columbus and every other state capital and Washington and uh, have unlimited money to dispense and uh, make their presence known. That's, you know, that, that's how this whole issue ties right into democracy because uh, 
there isn't any, you know, it sounds kind of nebulous though. I mean, I mean, are there individuals that own these farms? Are they from the U S are they from um, other countries? Are they just a few people, five people that own all these factory farms? Some people own the hog farms. Some people own the dairy farms. Some people own the chicken farms. Who can we hold accountable to this? You know, I don't, Carolyn, I don't have a really good answer for you as far as our watershed goes. Uh, the ownership is a lot more diverse than it is in other parts of the country. For example, in North Carolina, uh, the biggest hog producer in the country and uh, Smithfield owns most of the uh, hog factories in North Carolina. Uh, China bought out Smithfield. So now China is the largest owner of uh, hog factories in North Carolina. In our watershed, um, there is some of that going on, but uh, as far as we can tell, most of the owners and operators of these facilities are uh, started out as more traditional farmers and uh, bought into the, the uh, program that the government was putting forward and the subsidies to scale up and uh, run these kinds of operations. Who is the director of the uh, Farmers Bureau um, right now? I don't know. The Ohio don't Farm know. Bureau? I could uh, look it up here in a minute, but I Yeah, can't. look it up. Ohio Farm Bureau. It'd be good to have a name. Yeah. Just someone that uh, people could contact. Now, um, Marky, the Lake Erie Bill of Rights was passed by the people of citizens of, of Toledo. And then it was taken attacked by a farm. Tell us what happened in briefly. Yeah. So, I mean, hours after the election results came in, a lawsuit was filed against the city of Toledo um, in federal court to say, hey, we are an LLC. It was a grain farmer who they went and filed all the paperwork they needed, you know, just before to say we're an LLC. So now we have standing to sue the city of Toledo, um, which they actually really didn't have standing, but it was okay because the state of Ohio backed that corporation, that LLC in the lawsuit. So there was no question of standing once once that happened. And the rare thing here is that it was, the, the suit was filed before the law was even on the books, you know, and, and it was pretty clear that that was ready to go. I doubt anyone pulled an all-nighter to write a 30-plus page lawsuit based on, on those election results. It was it was a plan. It was, you know, just waiting to see if, if by any chance um, this law would pass. And we went into court. The people of Toledo were not allowed to intervene in that case, so we had no voice in that issue. And to the city's credit, they did a, a, a decent job defending the law and, and taking a stand. Um, but then it came down to this this farm, I can't even say farmer, this farm it was Dravis Farms LLC coming in to say our our civil rights are being violated as a business. That was their argument. And the state said, hey, we have ownership of Lake Erie. They this community has no say. Um, which we argued, well, we want we want to fight for stewardship, not ownership. You know, that was the point of putting this together. And it came down to one judge saying, I side with the state, I side with the business. And it was very interesting because they, he ruled that Libor had caused harm to the state of Ohio on paper. It had caused harm to the permitting process. Um, and, you know, even though it was hypothetical, nobody actually got to use anything or take any action. 
And yet we, as a community who had lost our water, who had lost that connection to Lake Erie, who people had gotten sick, had lost pets, um, that harm was not allowed to go on the record. That, that harm had no recognition in that court whatsoever. Um, but the harm to the state on paper was very real. And later in his decision, the judge also ruled that, oh, you know, this is kind of vague. It's just a value statement. You know, it doesn't really have any teeth. So those, those two contradictions going on that we caused harm, but yet we really didn't have the power to do anything. Um, it, it, it was just any argument that could be used to, to get the result that they wanted. Um, and we got that just before um, everything shut down with COVID. So it was February of, of 2020. So we got that uh, a day and a year later after the, the election. But I think now it's up to people to still call that out, to say, if you see things or you hear things, you see permits, you know, we talk about factory farms coming in or animal factories, and we can still call that out as a violation of Lake Erie's rights. It's a violation of, of this community's rights. Just because it's not on the books doesn't mean it isn't something we can push for and uphold. Um, and I, I think that's going to be the role that we step into and, and hope to see more communities take that step and say, yeah, we know the story. We know the results. We're going to do this, too, because, you know, what, what else is our option? Martin, when you say the state, are you talking about the governor? Are you talking about the legislature? Who, are, who is the state that supported this lawsuit? Yeah, um, I mean, good question. It was just the attorney general came in and said, yeah, I'm going to represent the state of Ohio against this process. And was that Yoast? Uh, yes. And I'm trying to think, I know since that time, we've, we've seen some articles come out where the Ohio Farm Bureau has taken a lot of credit for the lawsuit, um, for funding it, for being Is that Dorothy it. Palanda? Dorothy Palanda? I know she used to be as either a Senate, a state senator or a state rep. And I know she's involved the uh, agriculture. I think it's Dorothy Palanda. I believe she was at the time. I don't know if she's still. Um, she's the director of the, of the Ohio Department of Agriculture now. Okay. Okay. Okay, so um, that's not the Farm Bureau. Have you found the name of the Farm yeah, Bureau? Yeah. Who is uh, it? If people want to go to their website, it's just OFB for OhioFarmBureau.org, uh, the president's Bill Patterson. And Bill Patterson used to be a state legislator. I'm pretty sure. And the name is very familiar to me. So this mm -hmm. sounds like it's uh, just pro-capitalist pro business over people's rights, over community rights. Over and animal to, rights. To make a, to put an even finer point on uh, what what some of these officials, uh, what positions they hold now and what they used to do, a couple of years ago, uh, the deputy director of the Ohio uh, Environmental Protection Agency resigned after a very quite long career with the Ohio EPA. But before he started working for the Ohio EPA for 19 years, he was a lobbyist with the Ohio Farm Bureau. And then the, the uh, director of the EPA hired him to uh, be the deputy director. So, you know, it's it, it's all over the place and well documented uh, who's running the show. Here. Right. Okay. We have no more time, my friends. Can you give us a website? So if people want more information, they can find it. LakeErieAdvocates.org. That's the website that Marky did for us. Mm -hmm. And okay. for Libor, it's lakeerieaction.org. 
All right, my friends, let's get these images out. Let's get this information out and let's clean up Lake Erie. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks for joining me today. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.